All right, let's get back to our seats, please. Okay. Well, good morning, Dover Be Free. I'm going to open us in prayer and then we'll read this morning's scripture. Found in Philippians chapter 3. And Lord, we do thank you for this morning and this chance to gather under your word and with your people. Uh, Lord, every week, uh, all of us, no matter where we're at, need the fresh reminders of what's true. Uh, Lord, we know that so often we lose sight of what's true. Um, Whether it's our own internal distractions and confusion or the world around us and what people in the, the, the world itself is telling us. Um, Lord, all of us drift. All of us have a a tendency to wander. We see things dimly, as the Apostle Paul tells us. Um, Lord, we need clarity. We need uh, vision. We need to know what is true to be an anchor for our soul and for our minds. And we thank you that your scriptures are what's true, Um, even if they're uncomfortable even if they tell us things that we don't necessarily feel good about. Uh, Thank you that your word overrides all of our feelings uh, and is what's true. It is our authority. It is our guide. And like every Sunday, Lord, we put ourselves under your word. Uh, May it instruct and guide and teach us and not us teaching you. And so, Lord, we humbly come to you asking that each of us would grow this morning. Each of us would be encouraged Each of us would be strengthened. All of us need that. And we pray that this morning would accomplish that. Thank you so much for this gathering of your people and this uh, such a precious day each week that we get to do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9? And this morning, you can keep Philippians uh, 3 open because we'll come back to it a few times uh, in in the sermon. So Paul writes in Philippians 3, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him, 
I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. You can have a seat. Uh, interestingly, the author of, of Philippians 3, Paul, uh, what, what clearly is on his mind as he starts penning this chapter uh, is this idea of rejoicing, the idea of joy. You see it right away. He says for us to rejoice in the Lord. It's what's on his mind to have joy. So he's talking about righteousness and his own attempts at righteousness uh, his own attempt at living his own way, but really what, what frames this whole conversation is this idea of joy, this idea of rejoicing in life. And he says he never gets tired of telling people to live that way, to have joy. I find that really interesting. That's not the stereotype of Christianity uh, for the world around us. And so it got me thinking this week, how... How much of our own days uh, are spent pursuing joy? There's a lot of words for it. You could say happiness, you could say contentment, you could say satisfaction. Uh, but I, I like the word joy just because I think it's more of an umbrella term uh, for the human experience that we can all relate to. And so I got thinking, how much of our days are spent pursuing joy, like the Apostle Paul is calling us to here? Maybe we, maybe we don't even think of it in those terms. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized joy is central, actually, to most of our days and to most of the decisions we make. And, and let me give you a couple examples of this. You don't have to raise your hand, but I am curious. Does anyone ever ask what's for dinner before it's dinner time? like, say, around 11 a.m.? And, and I'm not just talking about the kids. Does anyone ask what's for dinner? Or has anyone caught themselves looking in the freezer, maybe around 1 in the afternoon, and you're wondering not only how much ice cream is left, but what kind? Has anyone ever done that? Has anyone found themselves trying to track the recent uh, trade updates with Shohei Otani? Wondering, I'm mainly talking to guys, some of the girls I know might do this too here, wondering, could he end up at the Red Sox? Why do we do these things? As I thought about some of these examples this week, I thought, well, I think the main reason is joy. So you think about dinner or dessert or your team getting a really good player, and you think, the way I'm feeling right now is eh, but if this later thing could give me something, I would feel better. I would feel happy, and maybe it would even translate to making me feel better now. Maybe if the dinner's really good, it will help me in the current moment feel more what? Joy. Always pursuing joy. And I thought about it from the other side, too. 
I, I think that joy is something we pursue not just in things that we actively seek that will make us feel joy, like a good dinner, a good dessert, or a, a really good trade for one of our, our teams. I also think joy is central to what we avoid. So I'll give you a couple examples with this. Maybe you can relate. Has anyone here ever put off a house project? Every day, this house project looks back at you. And you keep seeing it. And you think, ugh, I don't have the skills to do that. And so maybe if I avoid it, if I put it off, it will somehow work itself out. The kink will get fixed somehow. And so you keep putting off this house project week after week, month after month. And I got to thinking, why do we do that? Why do we avoid, why do I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, why do I avoid that activity? Well, the big reason is engaging in that activity means the absence of joy. Because as I get into it, I know I'm going to be quickly overwhelmed, dad issues are going to surface, and I'm going to feel helpless. I'm going to be agitated, sweaty, and frustrated. And I'm not going to know how to do it. And then I'm actually going to make the problem worse. And then I'm going to have to call someone in to fix it. Why do we avoid that really serious conversation we know we need to have with our spouse, close friend, or child? Why do we do that? We're talking about really important things in their life or your own life that you know is killing them. Why is it that we're willing to talk about so many other things, but that critical thing we know we need to engage with them on, we put it off. We, we, we avoid, we push it down the road until it gets worse and worse. I think central to the avoidance of even something like that is a lack of joy. If I engage in that conversation, it's going to be awkward, it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be scary, and I don't want to know what's on the other side. Where is the joy in that? I'd rather talk about things that are, I perceive, joyful. Joy is central to everything we do as people. And as I said this morning, joy is central to the passage we're looking at, although the, the kind of joy that's being referred to is a different kind of joy than what I've described. It's not the day-to-day -day circumstantial joy that all of us seek that Paul's really getting after. And, and for the sake of terms, I'm calling it Christian joy. What Paul's referring to is a, a kind of joy that the world knows not of. It's a different kind of joy, Christian joy. It's not a joy that's attached to day-to-day -day realities. It's not a joy that's attached to certain things working out or certain things not. It's the kind of joy that is unshakable. It's the kind of joy that is never changing regardless of our circumstances. So what we're going to do this morning is look at what is Christian joy? What is it? 
In addition, we're going to look at two obstacles to Christian joy in our life that Paul lays out in this text. And then we're going to look at how do we remain and receive Christian joy? How do we receive it and how do we remain in it? So first, what is Christian joy that's on Paul's mind this morning? What As he referred to rejoicing in the Lord, joy in the Lord in verse 1, what does he mean? He's not talking about a dessert or correctly fixing a home project or having your team get the right player. He's talking about a different kind of joy, and he actually explains what it is in verse 8 through 9. And so I'm going to reread verse 8 through 9, and that's going to give us more of a picture of what he's referring to in verse 1. He starts to fill it out a bit for us. And he says this again in verse 8 through 9. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So the type of joy that Paul's referring to is connected to a person. Christian joy at its fundamental level, at its foundational level, Paul's talking about a person. He's not talking about a circumstance. He's not talking about an event or an experience even. He is linking joy to the person of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, if you are attached, linked, connected, dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ, you will have joy. You will. If you lose everything else in your life, everything that you thought could give you joy, but you are attached to the person of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, you will have the kind of joy I never get tired of telling you to have. Do you remember that in verse 1? He says, rejoice in the Lord Have joy in the Lord, and I never get tired of telling you that. It's like the one thing I want to tell you over and over again. That in this world, if you're attached to him, you're safe. If you're connected to Jesus Christ and put your whole life on him, you're going to be safe. You're going to be full. And what does he mean by that? Well, I think there's two hints of it that he gets at in verse 9. One of them is he's talking about this idea of righteousness. In our, in our day, uh, I don't think righteousness is as common a term, but in Paul's day, it's what everyone was talking about all the time. Righteousness, this idea of um, attaining the moral standing and moral purity to make you right with God through the law. Um, and so in, in our context, it's a little different. And, and I think in our context, it's more the idea of um, reaching your full potential, your self-actualizing. 
Um, the good life is, is meeting all your goals, being the type of moral person you want to be, uh, being a good person. Uh, and what Paul is saying is um, he's had to disregard all of what he thought was the way of attaining that, and there's a whole new way that's been revealed to him. What he learned was that trying to make himself good, to make himself holy, to make himself righteous, to make himself okay through his own good deeds and own good behavior uh, actually didn't accomplish anything that he hoped it would. Because as he learned to know Christ and experience a relationship with him, what he learned was that Christ's righteousness far exceeded, far exceeded anything Paul could have ever attained himself. Far exceeded. That the human perfection he was after, this sense of joy, this sense of fullness, this sense of I'm okay as a human, which I think all of us are on that journey, he thought he had done it the perfect way through perfectly obeying the law of Moses. And in our day, it's not the law of Moses, but we might think we've We've attained everything the world tells us we need to attain. Nothing's changed in that desire. All of us are on that journey. What Paul's saying is you're going to find the same thing. Even in our context, if you have $5 million already saved up for retirement, if your home is state-of-the-art kitchen, state-of-the-art bathrooms, if you're revered and respected in the workplace, if your kids are the model citizens who sit quietly through church, if your marriage is shining and glimmering and you think, you know what, I've made it. I've made it. I'm okay. I've accomplished what it means in New England 2023 to be a good person. I shut my door. I close my windows. Um, I say hi once in a while to my neighbors, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I leave people alone. I've, I've, I've reached the climax of what it means to be a good person. I've become righteous. Paul's saying No. That's not fullness of life. That's not where you're going to find joy. Paul's saying, I've exceeded everyone around me in terms of righteousness, and it's still empty. It's still nothing compared to the perfect life, the perfect righteousness, the perfect purity of Jesus Christ. So Christian joy is first finding that our righteousness, our purity, our wholeness is not found in ourselves but it's actually found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the hero of our story. And his perfect righteousness, as we put our faith in him and turn away from ourselves and from the world, his perfect righteousness is given to us as a free gift. What a gift that is. That his perfection, everything he accomplished in his perfect life, perfectly loving, perfectly holy, perfectly good, far exceeding any other human in the history of the world, is given to us as a gift. It becomes who we are, not because of something we've done, but because of everything he has done. And in addition, there's the idea of salvation. Not only do we need righteousness, but we need forgiveness. We need our sin. We need all the darkness in us. We need all the things we've done and things we haven't done that we should have done all the stuff in us that we are uncomfortable with, all the actions, thoughts, desires, impulses, we need those forgiven. And what Paul's saying is, 
when you receive Christ, when you rest in him, when you look at him, when you attach yourself to him, not only do you have the perfect righteousness you need to stand before God and in relationship with him, but you also have forgiveness of sin. So everything Paul was trying to do to overcome his sin through obeying the law, everything we try to do in the perfect job, perfect family, perfect house to overcome our guilt, he's saying it's a free gift as well as you attach yourself to Jesus. Your sin goes to him. He dies for it. He rises again. He overcomes it. He forgives it. Gives it to you as a free gift. So Christian joy is ultimately attaching ourselves to Jesus Christ for the sense of righteousness and forgiveness. What are the obstacles? The first obstacle to us living this way and throwing ourselves fully on the person of Jesus Christ, fully attaching ourselves to him, and that is where we live. That's where we spend our days is in his presence, in his embrace. That's all that matters to us. That's how Paul wants us to live. Always attached to him, looking at him, in his embrace. That's where the Christian lives. But what gets in the way of that? What gets us off the rails? What gets us distracted? He explains what it is right here in the same verses. Because you'd think it'd be easy, right? You'd think, well, why wouldn't you want to live that way? Someone's given you perfect righteousness and forgiveness for all your sin. Why would you not want to spend your days attached to that person? Where else would you want to go? As Peter writes, who else has the words of life? Where are we going to go? Why would we not attach ourselves there and try to do life on our own? It doesn't even make sense when you analyze it. But there are things in this world that pull us away from that union with Jesus, from that attachment to him. And I see two things in these verses that pop up. One obstacle is self-reliance. I think New Englanders should know what that term means. But the way I define it is self-reliance is ultimately it's still this idea of attachment. You see attachment all through this ver- these verses in Philippians 3. In self-reliance, we attach ourselves to something in the world that's not Jesus Christ. So we're attaching, you better believe it, we're always attaching to something as people, but we're attaching to something in the world that's not Jesus Christ. That's what self-reliance is. You see it in verse 2. Paul says, it's still going on back then. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Do you see what they're doing, the Judaizers? They're coming into the church of Philippi, and they're saying, no, you can't be free in Jesus Christ. You can't just attach yourself to him and receive all the righteousness he has earned and all the forgiveness of sin that he has himself taken on in his death and resurrection on the cross. No, you can't just attach to that and receive that. That's too easy. No, you have to attach yourself to the law of Moses. You've got to attach to it. And that's how you are going to earn salvation, righteousness, well-being. You've got to attach yourself to something besides Jesus Christ to make yourself okay. And this is how self-reliance works in general. I laugh at self-reliance because I hear about it all the time in New England, and of course, I'm, this, it's my experience too, but there's no such thing as self-reliance. 
there's no, what I have discovered is the more self-reliant people are, and I see it in my own heart, it just means you're attaching to something more and more. You're, you're putting all of yourself on something so that you don't need people around you, so you don't need God. But there's no one who simply attaches themselves to nothing and then they're self-reliant. No, they're putting their hope in something. You just have to get to know them. And as you get to know them, you realize, oh, you're not totally independent. You've just attached yourself to your career or your kids or your house or your bank account. Paul's furious with the Judaizers. In fact, he calls them dogs, <laughs> which is a pretty harsh term. Um, the reason he's furious is because he's saying, this is going to kill your Christian joy. It's going to kill it. Why? Because if you attach yourself to the law of Moses to find your righteousness, salvation, and well-being, you are going to detach yourself from the living Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to detach from him. You're going to attach to something else. And what Paul is saying is that's not how you find Christian joy. It's not how you find joy. In our context, I don't think the temptations are the law of Moses, but, but we do have temptations, like I've already mentioned a few of them, but I just want to mention them again. I still think we have temptations in our day to be self-reliant, like what was happening in the Judaizers, where something or someone comes in and says, to have fullness of life and, and fullness of joy, you need to detach yourself from Jesus and attach yourself to something else. And that's how you find life. And the ones that come to my mind that I think we're tempted with to have this be an obstacle to our freedom in Jesus are things like our families. Again, is family a bad thing to invest yourself in and to invest your time and energy? Of course not. Family is a wonderful gift of God. But it's a slippery slope because it's very easy to start putting all your hope, all your energy, all your attention into your family, into how your kids are going to turn out, so that all of a sudden it becomes, well, if my kids turn out okay, I'll be righteous. And that's fundamentally what matters. It's a huge burden to put on our kids. What about our careers? Attach yourself to your career. Have, have recognition in the workplace. Have uh, promotions in the workplace. Have other people start to respect you and, 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 and come to you for questions. Again, is a, is a career a bad thing? Of course not. It's not a bad thing. But if it's where you put all of your energy, all of your hope, what happens if you lose your job? What happens if you fail on a project? How about our retirement accounts? I know a preacher is not supposed to talk about retirement accounts in our context, but I will. Because Jesus has things to say about retirement accounts. He says, don't just build bigger barns and put all your hope in your future. Oh, one day I'm going to have this and I'll settle down and I'll have all this money and I'm going to build a much bigger barn and it'll be full of things. And what does Jesus say about that? You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. Who's going to get all that? 
Again, should Christians save for retirement? Sure. But does, is that what we check every day? What we put our hope in? Where we bank all of our joy is once we can retire, then life will be okay. I don't think that's how Christians are supposed to live. I don't think that's how we find joy. I think if we go too far with any of these good things like family, career, retirement, our home, it can subtly detach us, not in a salvation sense, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation, but it can detach you from the presence of Jesus and joy in him. And you start to attach yourself to these other things that fundamentally are not going to deliver. They're not. What's the second obstacle that we see? The first is self-reliance and this idea of attaching ourselves to other things which by default can slowly detach us from Jesus Christ and being in his embrace and putting all of who we are into him, spending time with him, delighting in him, dwelling with him, that he is the hero of our story. That's something I've been repeating to myself a lot these days because this isn't easy for me to live this way. It's not. But one thing I've been repeating myself over and over again during the day is, Jesus, you're the hero of my story. You are the hero of my story. It helps orient me. I'm not the hero of my story. I'm not the one who's attained righteousness or forgiveness of sin or the promise of eternity with him. It is him alone and his work alone. No confidence in the flesh, as Paul says. Self-righteousness is the second obstacle. So self-reliance and self-righteousness. And and where do we see self-righteousness pop up in our verses here today? Uh, In verse 5 through 7, you're going to see this idea of self-righteousness pop up here for Paul as the second obstacle to experiencing Christian joy. And he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness... Uh, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Um, I think for us, in a similar way, you see Paul kind of spilling out two things here that, that we can, that can get in the way of our Christian joy. Uh, some of it is related to your kind of who you're born into, the privileges you're born into, um, the natural abilities or privileges or family or personality or strengths or giftings that we have. All of us are born with natural abilities and giftings and different family situations, different economic situations. And so that's one area where you can put a lot of your hope and a lot of your confidence and a lot of your pride uh, is, is how God made you, the circumstances he put you in. And then the second is, is what you've attained, what you've accomplished in your life. Um, it's dan- it can be dangerous to start relying on ourselves in this way. And so unlike self-reliance, where we're attaching ourselves to things of the world, I think of self-righteousness as we actually start to a- subtly attach to ourselves and not the world, and not Jesus. Uh, We can subtly attach 
our sense of okayness, our sense of righteousness, our sense of salvation um, to ourself. And how do, we, how do we do that? Well, in the area of um, how you're born. So I think a lot of us, if we're not aware of it, uh, can subtly put our hope in things that are natural, things that are, God has given us. Um, so for me, uh, I think about the way he's, he's gifted me in different ways. I have a, I have a uh, you know, stable middle income family. I'd never had real significant needs uh, for food or financing or experiences. And so it's pretty easy for me to start to think of uh, me being okay in this world, uh, me being good and don't need anything and um, kind of okay, largely because I had a very stable family. Um, I didn't go house to house. I didn't have food insecurity. I didn't know what that was, actually. I didn't get into gang fights. Um, but, but, but all of that stuff is a gift. It's, it's not stuff that I, I earned. Having this very stable New Hampshire family, my parents still live in the house my dad built, those are all good things, but I can find myself easily saying, I'm okay in this world because I grew up in a stable home and I haven't had need and uh, I'm pretty you know, emotionally okay because my parents were good to me and um, you, know, it, you can start to feel that way. Or you know, growing up, I was athletic and I got a lot of a- approval for sports and uh, you can easily find your identity and your sense of well-being and your sense of being a good person because you're, you're good at, at certain things. Uh, and maybe for some of us, it's, it's not that, but maybe it's the way, you know, you were, maybe you were able to read at four years old and all your life you've been very intelligent and you've been able to get into the good schools and have the good job. And again, those are all wonderful, wonderful things, but it's so easy to start relying on those things for your sense of well-being, for your sense of being a good person, for your sense of righteousness and not to attach yourself to Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's the way you're able to make friends. I was always able to make friends. Um, as a, and so it's easy to find your confidence in just being able to make friendships. But for some kids, knowing how to make friends is a struggle. These things are all gifts. They're not, they're abilities God has, has hardwired into us. They're not things we're supposed to be putting our hope in. Or maybe... Uh, it's, it's certain things we've achieved in life, and, and, and so we start to attach ourselves to our accomplishments or to, um, you know, different, different things we've created or different ideas we've had or different experiences we've had, and, and uh, we can start to feel like I'm okay in this world because I've achieved X, Y, Z. Uh, like Paul, he's saying, I've achieved all these things. I literally fulfilled the law without fault. And by the way, I think Paul was serious when he said that. I don't think this was a play on words. I think Paul perfectly obeyed the law of Moses and the law of the Pharisees. I absolutely think he did. But even in that, he's saying empty, worthless. So imagine that. That would be like you become, this in this church, you, you become the CEO of Goldman Sachs. And you get to that top of the ladder. Or you become the president of the United States. And you look at that and say, worthless. It's not worth anything compared to what Jesus Christ has earned for me. 
So to conclude, how do we receive and remain in Christian joy with these obstacles of self-reliance, attaching things to the world, and self-righteousness where we can easily attach to ourselves? And I think the answer to this is simple. Um, I think it comes down to repentance. Again, not a word we love to talk about a lot, um, but I think repentance is central to what's on Paul's mind here. Repenting from things we've attached to and turning and attaching ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ. Repentance is a way of saying, I turn. It's always this idea of turning. You move. You don't, you don't just stay still. You move somewhere. And in this case, repentance means detaching from those things, attaching to him. For some of us, it may be you resonated more with things in the world you've attached to. For some of us, it's more you, you actually rely on yourself, self-righteousness. You, you relate more to that one. What I would encourage this week or today, identify one thing. One thing in the world or one thing in yourself that you find yourself attaching way too much weight to. And it actually competes with your relationship with Jesus Christ. You rely on it too much. And the way to know if you rely on it too much, is imagine if it got detached from you. In other words, imagine if your kid goes the wrong direction. What would that do to you? Would it absolutely destroy you? You're probably too attached. And again, not a bad thing to want your kid to follow Jesus, but we can't put all of our identity in that and all of our hope in that. Um, God will take care of those things. It's not fundamentally our responsibility fully. Or your money, or your job, or your friendships. What happens if those crumble, which they often do? What would happen to you? Um, identify what that is. Ask Jesus to forgive, which he will. He's eager to forgive us. He loves to forgive us. And ask that you would attach to him instead of to this thing in this coming week. And tell someone about it. I, I think oftentimes we try to fight these things on our own. Um, but I find that things we've attached to, oftentimes if we try to just do it ourselves and detach just only God and us know, I think it's harder. I think if we tell someone and get it into the light, get it into community, that, hey, I'm really struggling with this. This thing is, I am so attached to this, I can't even breathe. I want to breathe the life of Jesus. I don't, I don't want to be smothered by this thing anymore. Um, tell someone about it who you trust and ask them to walk with you in this journey this week. Let me pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this morning and these words from the Apostle Paul um, about what it looks like to experience joy, uh, which fundamentally joy is attaching ourselves to you, Jesus. Lord, we admit that there are so many things in the world and in us that we are tempted to attach to that um, will give us joy and give us a sense of well-being, but we know that ultimately those things will fail us. Uh, thank you that, that you um, have accomplished everything we need to have joy, that true joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ and not in circumstances around us. Lord, help each of us by faith to really deeply attach ourselves to you this week that we would experience just a deep sense of your goodness and your love for us, that we would rest, that we would be full 
of you and full of joy. That is our heart for each of us, Lord, that each of us would experience true Christian joy this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing together.